Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host Adzalison and have I got a treat for you today. But before we start the podcast today, can you take two minutes to subscribe or follow on your podcast provider and leave me a comment at the end of the podcast? That would be amazing. If you're looking for any surfing gear, look no further. Go to Northcourt on the Tinterweb and use the code capital letters Grumpy Surfer 10 to receive 10% on your purchase. On the podcast today, I have a big wave surfer from Ireland who was water safety and also surfing the massive swell of Hurricane Epsilon at Mullagmore in Ireland last Wednesday. Not only is my guest one of the world's lead on big wave water safety, but to add to that, he is also a full-time fireman paramedic in Dublin. So, enjoy my conversation with Pete Conroy. Pete Conroy, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How you doing, mate? Not too bad at all. And yourself? Yeah, really good. I'm in isolation at the moment. Yeah, I'm allowed out my house on Friday, which is going to be luxury, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, we, we can go out of our house, but we can only travel five kilometers from our house, so. Oh, really? Yeah, till December. Yeah, six weeks in it, so. Okay. You've got your own gu- different COVID guidelines to... Uh, yeah, to... we do. Yeah, yeah. So the whole of Ireland is under the, the lockdown at the moment. So five kilometers. You can only travel really within five kilometers and you shouldn't be really interacting with anybody or exercising within the 5K. So that's that's what we're in at the moment. Level five, the highest level. How does that affect you? Um, Not too bad now because I, I, when I come home, I usually concentrate on family and working in the garden and stuff. So I haven't really surfed. The only time it did really affect me was it came in just before Big Wednesday up in Mully. So we were frantically find, trying to find ways to actually get up there legally to surf up there. Um, in the end, it all worked out. So, yeah. How so did you all... pull that one off? Did you just pretend that you were living in your car and your car snuck closer and closer to the beach? <laughs> well, that couldn't work because I, I do live in my van when I'm in Dublin. But uh, we were going to... Uh, do a bit of media uh, work for uh, Magic Seaweed, so it would entitle us to go up and document the, the swell. But then Red Bull got onto us and asked us to do safety for Connor. So they were paying us, so it was a paid gig of production, so that you're legally you're allowed to work during COVID and you can go out of five kilometers to, to do that. So that kind of, we all felt safe in it that we weren't breaking any rules and we all, adhere to the COVID rules when we were up there wearing masks, staying away from each other and stuff like that. So it was all good. Yeah, nice. Um, what do you do up in Dublin? Uh, so I work in the fire brigade in Dublin. So I'm a fireman paramedic up there. So working there for the last 16 years. So up and down every three days to Clare. So it's a, quite a journey from the West Coast to the East Coast. For work. How long does that take? That must take like what, three or four hours to drive up there. Longer than that? Just, just, just slightly under three hours. So, yeah, so I started a, a day shift at nine o'clock in the morning. So I'd leave my house at three o'clock, drive up, get there for six, sleep for two hours and then go into work. And I'd shower and shave in work. And then I live in my van on my nights that I'm not working. And then the nights I'm, I'm working, I'm in the station anyway. So, yeah. What's it, yeah, um, it's all good. What's it like? How, how I mean... 
how did you even get into being a fireman paramedic? I mean, that, that's a, it's a pretty cool job. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great job to be in, but it, it was very hard to get into. Well, I didn't realize how hard it was to get into until it happened. Um, I was finished school. I went and started doing communications in a university in Limerick, and it didn't really, it was more computers and uh, digital stuff and it didn't really appeal to me and then a friend of mine was doing uh, emergency management uh, international disasters engineering and management in Coventry University and he'd been telling me what the course was entailed and it was basically down what I wanted to do in college so I left Limerick went to college in England did four years over there lifeguarded in between it every summer back here and then when I came home I just kind of fell into a rut of lifeguarding in the pools the local pool and then my dad got peed off with me one day and he said, you need to get a real job. And uh, he, he put down the paper in front of me and said, apply for that. And that's how I just applied for it, thinking it wouldn't go anywhere. And then interview after interview, after medical, after physical, and basically ended up in the fire brigade. So oh, nice. it wasn't a family. Uh, a lot of in Dublin, it, it is a lot of family members within the fire brigade and then sons and daughters joined because their dad was in it. So I was lucky I got in. I didn't know anybody in the fire brigade. So it was only when I got in, I kind of realized it was a very closed market of people within the fire brigade and who's who of knowing people. So, yeah. The Irish as a people are a very close-knit community, aren't they? Like everything's very family-orientated. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the council and all. Uh, yeah, any business, it's all about, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And, and I don't know if that's a good thing in this day and age now, especially when you're going for a position and you have all this, these uh, qualifications and you're, you, you're perfect for the job, yet then somebody gets a job that has no idea what they're doing. Uh, it's called the government up here, really, but uh, you probably recognize it over there as well. So oh, I, I try and stay away from all that sort of thing. If oh, I turn away. Yeah, yeah, like, especially politics here. I love the way politicians get their ministers of transport, minister of finance, and they have a notion what they're doing. And they have to hire then people that actually know what they're doing for that position. So it just ends up costing the country a lot more money than it is needed. So, well, yeah, we won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's just unfortunate, isn't it, that, you know, we live in a society these days where a class system is not necessarily the thing that happens anymore like a hundred years ago but yeah. you know it, it's still kind of in the underlying layers especially where people are in power as well there's always that legacy of you know job or your family name following you i think oh no it is it's definitely still happening here in ireland definitely so yeah but sure it'll happen everywhere yeah so being in the uh, being in the fire brigade as a paramedic, that must help out quite a lot when it comes to water safety and and looking after guys when it gets you know really big in the in the ocean. Yeah, so it, it did, and it still does. Um, I kind of I, I I was a competitive swimmer growing up. I never did any of the the, the normal sports like rugby or hurling or football in Ireland. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer from a very early age, five six. Um, competing all through my lifetime um, and then I moved into life-saving like it's a progression you either go life-saving or you go teaching swimming or whatever but I went lifeguarding 
started lifeguarding on the beaches. That's where I got my love for surfing and for bigger waves and stuff like that. Um, and then it kind of, when I joined the fire brigade and became a paramedic, I already had a degree in disaster management, risk assessment, and hazard assessment. So it kind of just stood to me. Um, I was an EMT before I went in, so I had a medical training as well. So I kind of brought that into my surfing, and any time I went out, I kind of knew what I was doing. But becoming a paramedic and then dealing with a lot of uh, serious incidents in Dublin, car crashes and uh, cardiac arrests and stuff like that, we kind of identify more things that the lads, the simple things that the surfers need to know and get out uh, get rid of all the bullshit that's there even within life-saving the stuff that's always been there and you have to do it this way where they're only doing it because they've always done it whereas i kind of like was like no you don't need to just concentrate on the airway get the person in and just simple things like that and then especially surfing the cliffs of moher we realized it's so remote and it's it's not normal medicine it's wilderness medicine you have to kind of be prepared for anything that goes wrong outside there. So we kind of implemented the rescue box underneath the Cliffs of Moher, a medical box down at Riley's where a lot of us have injured ourselves. And then at Mullock Moor, we've, so little spots around Ireland, we've uh, kind of implemented, um, uh, what can you say, just mitigating risk by having the right equipment in the right places for, for, for when things go wrong. Hopefully they never do go wrong, but it's only by things going wrong that you start to realize that you're not very well prepared for things when they do go wrong. So, yeah. Doesn't sound too unlike the military, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> That's it. You just have to prepare. Like, as I said, if, if people want to look up mistakes made, lessons learned, it's a video about our club. And as I said, our club has gone over 10 years now. And it was a group of us that were surfing the cliffs of Moher. Um, I got washed in and it was a, a ridiculous day. It was only my competitive swimming that actually saved my life, getting get me back out. Um, we all sat in the pub, drank a pint of Guinness, and we decided, yeah, we can't be cowboys anymore. Let's get trained up on the jet skis. Let's do uh, VHF radio training. A lot more courses were done over the years. And that's what it was. Every time we made a mistake, we didn't, we didn't shy away from the mistake. We were like, right, let's own up to this mistake, where did we go wrong? How can we write it for next time for people not to make that mistake again? And a lot of that was learning about your jet ski, learning how it works, learning about your trailers, learning about uh, the Coast Guard, how, what they can and cannot do for us, um, and learning who to ring when you're in dire need of help. So, so a lot of that stuff came from our mistakes. And I can tell you that we made a lot of them over the years, but as I said, the world is looking at us now as one of the best uh, prepared for big wave surfing. Like we have the boxes, we have the the defibs and the medical gear there, and a lot of lads are trained up. And it's it's kind of just repetitively drilling into the lads the training and the learning of the CPR um, and what to do if something goes wrong, not to panic, who to call, when to call them, and they mightn't think that they they know it, but it's there embedded in them from years of training and me annoying the head off them. So yeah, it's there. So it's a good thing. It's crazy, isn't it? How far the sport of big wave surfing has progressed from like the last, you know, 15 to 20 years from, 
you know, the days of Laird Hamilton towing into a big wave on the Zodiac, um, yeah. you know, and something that he put some ski boots onto to now where, you know, you've got custom made life vests, you've got, you know, your water safety, you've got all these, um, you know, SOPs that people are using and looking out for each other um, in, in small teams. I, I just think that the progression from it has, has gone through the roof and the waves that people are able to surf, especially like Connor the other day, you know, waves are of a massive consequence where like, people are able to do that and do it safely as well. Oh yeah, hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> I don't think there's anything more we could have done on Wednesday on, on the, the big day where Connor got his waves to make it more safe. Like we had five tiers of safety with jet ski riders out for one tow team um, with the Coast Guard. We had everybody on standby with an ambulance in the bay, with the doctor on the shore, with spotters, with VHF radios, with everything covered. And it, it is three years of the Irish Tow Surf Rescue Club just drilling home what needs to be done. And it's not, it wasn't that hard to organize. It was like, okay, we're going out for a session. And it's not that the only real difference that day compared to any other day that we go out, was there, a, what, there was an ambulance paid for to be on the harbour. Apart from that, everything else was in place. We always have our rescue drivers, our rescue drivers, uh, uh, any media ski that goes out, it always have a rescue driver on the ski anyway, in case something goes wrong. Every driver of the tow surfer is a rescue driver and they're a surfer. So we always rotate and we're surfers and we're uh, tow surfers as well uh, and drivers. So the foundation is there for any days that we go out, but it was just very handy that Red Bull came in and said they pay for it to happen that day. And especially that little, that extra bit of having the ambulance there, just we didn't have to uh, put anything that got, went wrong on the health service. So we could actually uh, transport the patient to the hospital normally without, without ringing a, 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 an ambulance from the service. It must be quite comforting knowing that, you know, a big sponsor like Red Bull is going to be able to, you know, pull pull some money out of the bag. So you're able to do that, knowing that going out on the water, it's not just you and the lads going out on some jet skis and uh, and just doing it, you know, as if it's like a normal session. You know, it, it, it's something that is um, almost you've you've got that fudge factor and, and comfort level, I think. Um, well, I mean, you do. At the end of the day, that's only once that's ever happened, really. It's only when they want something to done. Um, I have a massive, not a problem, but anytime the bigger brands come over and they want their surfer to surf the wave, they have no problem forking out money for a media ski, but they never fork out for a safety ski. So if, like, boys are coming over, I said, this is the first time, like, we told Red Bull this what needs to happen for this well. And they listen to us because they understand where we're coming from. Whereas the amount of surfers that come over and they'll always fork out the money for the, the, the media ski to put their videographer or photographer on it. And then when we turn around and say, what about a safety ski? They go, oh, no, no, we don't need that. And they're expecting us to do the safety for them. And that's why our club, the Irish Toast Surf Rescue Club, is all about surfers joining the club, paying the 30 euro for a, a yearly membership. And that does supply the club ski to go out and do safety and volunteer and, uh, and us surfers, the Irish lads always do safety on it. And it, it gets a bit, uh, it gets a bit weird. Like when you're out there, keep an eye on everybody 
and you're stuck on the safety ski doing safety where you want to surf, but like it's in your mind that no, I'm I'm doing safety. But like there's plenty of other guys that can drive a ski, but then they don't come over and ask, all right, you want to swap over and get yourself a wave? And there is a good click of lads up in Wallach more now that when we do safety, we swap around, especially towing. Like we tow each other in. If one lad comes out in the the, the, the club ski, he'll do safety. That's all the club ski does. It doesn't tow. It does safety. And then when you're have three or four waves, you come in and swap over with the safety guy. But a lot of the international lads, when they come over, they don't do that. They just want to catch their waves and get out of there then. So it's kind of like, and we do kind of insist that they join the club and pay the 30 euro, which is nothing to them, get their, their, their big sponsor to pay it. Um, even a little bit more, especially when all the medical gear needs replacing every two years, medication and defib needs calibration every two years as well with battery changes. So it is a running cost of these big race spots, but they don't see it because they come in, catch their waves, and then they leave. So, but a lot of the lads are on board with us and they do realize what we do and they do work in their money. But it is another thing, but just they'll fork out a load of money for media skis, but nothing for safety skis. Yeah. Yeah. There's also that you've got to have that confidence in the other person, that trust, haven't you as well? I mean, you know, it's all well and good having these, you know, high profile people coming over, but then, you know, if you've never worked with them before and they turn around to say, well, you know, do you want to go and get a couple of waves too? Would you not be a little bit apprehensive about them if you've never worked with them before? No, because a lot of the lads like Will Scoot, Nick, all the boys that we, I, I would have, have no problem Will or any of the boys that come over quite often to us, but any of the lads that come over and I wouldn't, no, no, I wouldn't let them near the ski. Yeah, you are right there. I wouldn't let them near. And we do have guys paddling out there and they say, oh, do you want us to drive? And if they haven't done the course and they, they just see it as just sitting on a ski and because that's what it is 90% of the time, sitting in the channel on a jet ski doing nothing. Well, when the shit does really hit the fan, you need to know what you're doing and you need to do, know the pickups because all the lads that have done, have done the course, they know the response of every a, a casualty face down in the water, casualty injured, casualty waving their hands, how to get pick them up. Are they going to do a, a one-hand pickup? Are they going to present a sled? Is a person unconscious? So a lot of things are learned through the course that we teach that we need the, other, the guy driving the ski to understand as well. So it is one of those kind of, you don't let anybody just drive the ski, but it is nice for them to come and learn the, the course as well. That's why we do get the photographers and the videographers that shoot in Ireland. They've all done the course as well. So if something goes wrong, their driver gets knocked out or whatever, and they get thrown off a ski, they can get on the ski and rescue themselves and rescue their photographer. So it's all about everybody sim- singing off the same hymn sheet. Do you uh, run the courses through your own club as well? Yeah, so yeah, we run the club and we certify through the Irish Tow Surf Rescue Club. It's more of a it's a, a full three day course, um, learning about the mechanics of the jet skis, the trailers, taking the bearings off the trailers, taking the engine apart, uh, learn, teaching the people about their own skis that they have as well. So it's very important that they have. Like we used to train anybody up, but now we're kind of insisting that you have to have your own jet ski because, as I said, we can certify you over three days. But after a month, your knowledge will be down to 80%. After four or five months, it's gone down to 60%. And if you haven't been on a ski in eight months, you're not going to remember half the stuff that we've taught you. 
So it needs to be an understanding that either you're a lifeguard, you know what's going on in the water, or you have a jet ski that you actually bring out quite often and go in and do a bit of practice. Um, and we have noticed that we're lads that we have trained that they haven't touched a ski in a year, two years. And then suddenly when Red Bull wants to pay for it, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do safety. And it's like, no, because you haven't trained. You haven't done anything to deserve to be paid to do a very, a, a very publicized job. And if something goes wrong and, and it's noted that you haven't done any training in a year on a ski, where, where does that leave us and the club? So... Yeah, skill fighting that is is obviously a massive thing, isn't it? And it's with anything though, with anything that you're that you've learnt like through skill acquisition, whether it's surfing technique, whether it's driving a power boat, even a car. You know, if yeah. you haven't done that for a long period of time, and you've got guys like you say who haven't touched it for a year, two years, and then they're going into like, you know, forty, fifty, sixty foot waves. I mean, even I'd be a little bit dubious if I hadn't. Had done sort of like some continuation training during that period of time that was off and they're going yeah i'll do it because i'll be like that i'm gonna get smashed mate oh that's the problem like you have loads of lads that want to surf these big waves and they'll only want to go out when, when it's 40 50 foot and then you're like oh i'll go out with you and uh, I'm, I'm sitting there going well you're going to get loads of great waves because i'm going to tell you into the right ones but what am i going to get I'm going to get a wave in the head. I'm going to get smashed. That's my session done because you don't know how to drive a ski properly. And you're doing, you're, if I do go down, you're not going to come in and rescue me because you're just going to sit until I get washed all the way through and then ping me up on the other side where that's not what I'm going to do. So it is, like I've gone through a few tow partners that, and it is, it's that thing that I, if you don't have trust in them, you, you, you won't want to go out with them anymore. So... Let's yeah. talk about the, the, the build-up to uh, to the de- what you're calling Big Wednesday. Uh, yeah. um, so talk, talk, talk me through it from the point of you're seeing that big swell that was coming through in the Atlantic, you know, Magic Suite, Seaweed put that up really well, showed all the trails coming in. You know, talk, talk to through the whole sort of progression from seeing the swell, you know, putting the kit together to getting out onto the water. Yeah, so it was a very interesting one because we saw it and I – Straight away, I got onto my tow partner from on um, and said, did you see it? And he hadn't seen it. And then he saw it and he was like, oh, Jesus. And the two of us kind of, and we knew we were in lockdown. So we were like, we won't be able to get there even if we do. And even if we did, we'd be shunned by the surfing community, blah, blah, blah. And we were hoping, I was hoping the wind was going to go straight onshore and it was going to go fucking to shite. Um, if you read Dylan's account on Magic Seaweed, it's very, very good as well. But um, from my account... Yeah, I kept on looking at it, um, kept on ringing Fnong, rang Dylan, rang Barry, just chatted about it, saying, what if, what if? Um, and uh, we were just trying to figure out ways to get there. So we did get on to, um, I sent letters to the Sports Council in Ireland to see if, because there's only a handful of us that do toe surfing, okay? And I, literally a handful of us. Um, and we are at the top of our game, especially Connor and and Barry and Dylan, myself and Fnall. Like we only surf these waves maybe five, six times a winter. It, that's what storms that come in if if we get the chance to. So like last year, myself and Connor were invited to La Pancha, the big wave towing event down in Galicia, and we went down and and it, it basically didn't go ahead because of the Nazare Tow Challenge, which we nearly got an invite to as well. 
Um, so we have been invited to international competition. So we are at the top of the food chain. So we did ask Sports Council, could we be recognised as elite athletes? And if we were recognised with elite athlete, we'd be allowed to travel outside of 5K to practice our sport. But they brought us back to the ISA, which is the Irish Surfing Association. So we sent them an email and we did get a, a response saying that, oh, we'd have to organize things. And they didn't, there was only one person, Garob McDade, which I agree he is an elite athlete and he does compete internationally to travel outside it. Um, but they didn't see, they didn't recognize toe surfing as a sport. They don't see it as a sport here in Ireland, um, which is very saddening to see because Ireland's been put on the map in surfing from toe surfing and big wave surfing. So I can't see why they wouldn't recognize its top athletes as, as the toe surfers that actually do it uh, uh, as athletes and let them basically surf the waves that only happen four or five times a year. Like I haven't surfed, like we're in lockdown now, I haven't surfed within, outside my 5K because I can't, because I don't live 5K of, this, of the beach. And I probably won't for the six weeks. Um, but our, our trying to get to surf that swell was my highest priority. So I was on to Jason and Magic Seaweed, and I said to him that if they sign me off as a, one of their media writers, or um, I would go up and document the, the swell myself and Dylan and Barry and, uh, and Fanon. And, and we would be doing that. We'd be going documenting the biggest storm ever to hit the West Coast of Ireland, the biggest swells to ever hit Ireland, um, which would legally, that's what would have happened. But then a blessing happened was Red Bull turned in, a corporation came in and said, listen, we'll pay for you to do a, a production. And that basically uh, allowed us to travel outside our 5K to, to document it for Red Bull and get paid for it, which is extra. So when that happened, it kind of kick-started like Finn Mullen got involved. Well, he was involved from the start, organizing all the... The, the background safety and all that kind of stuff. So he got on to me and he said, right, who do you want to work with? And I just said, the main guys that surf the wave, like Fanon, Mono, myself, Clem, um, Grode, Dylan, Barry, Nick and, and, and Ollie from, from up north. And they're the guys that were out there and they're always out there. So they know the waves, they know each other. We know what we're thinking. Um, so for me, I live four hours from Mullockmore and so does Mono and so our job was to get the skis ready. So I had to get my ski ready, get the communications. I have all the VHF radios and the, the UHF radios. Get a, a bit of, like Barry wanted a, a Patagonia vest that I have and Fernanda needed some more gear. So it was just about bringing up gear and, and having everybody prepared for what was going to happen the next day. Um, we went up the night before and stayed and uh, we all got a, a room each up there. Um, for COVID, we weren't allowed to share rooms. So Red Bull got us a room each. Um, yeah, and arriving that morning, it was pretty surreal. I, I, I brought the ski over um, and I went to leave it on the slipway, which would be completely normal every other time. Um, and I had it parked on the slipway, the top of the slipway, which you'd never do anyway. But the tide was slightly in a bit. And as I was trying to take the ski off the back of the thing, a surge came in and basically came four foot up to what, what it was and drowned me. And basically, I was left in shock on what just happened. And I had to drive the ski out of there. And Dylan came over then. He goes, yeah, yeah, 
the, the surges are coming up and hitting the bottom of the hotel, which for anybody that's been to Mullockmore, that never happens on the biggest swells that ever hit. Um, yeah, so, and, and even as I was standing there talking to Dylan, a wave broke over the harbour wall, which I've never seen happen up there. Um, and neither had Dylan, and he was like, this is going to be a crazy day. So I went off and got the club ski. So the club ski is an FX140. So it's one of the biggest skis that we have up that go out to Mully. So we knew that the amount of white water moving out there, we need to have the biggest ski to do pickups. So we brought the club ski out to uh, make sure that when we went in, we didn't get too bogged down. Um, and as the morning went on, the lads started to arrive. And if you look at um, Atmosphere by Island Visual, it's a, a clip of the, of the day. And it basically, I love it. It just sums up what kind of the, the look in people's eyes, the smiles, and just the camaraderie of everybody that was going out there. It, was, it wasn't like a job. It was just like everybody looking after each other as we do every time we go out. So, yeah, we went out and we came around the headlands. And even when we came out of the harbour, we knew the amount of water moving that we were going to be seeing something that we hadn't seen before. Um, we came around the headlands and the sun was kind of just, just come up. And so there's that kind of a mist on the, on the water. And all I remember is people going, oh, my God, what is that? Is that even surfable? Jesus Christ. Like, that's all for the first 15 minutes. And we were just looking going, what? Is it even surfable? And you're kind of mind surfing every wave that came in and going, oh, no, that just killed me. Oh, broken leg. Oh, back broken. Oh, I'm drowned. And then you're like, Having, and then I, I being safe out there, we were just looking at where we would get a person, where we bring. Usually there's a big lagoon on the inside that you can actually go into uh, if someone gets hurt. But the, that lagoon was just white water with a, like a top covering about two, three foot of foam. So it was like if someone gets washed in there, we've, we've lost them. And that's what the top cover was very important for. Um, but as we're kind of like analyzing the risks and the, the hazards and everything, Connor is like preparing and you could see him and I was like, you ready for this? And he's like, just getting in his mindset. And then next minute they were gone. They were out the back. And uh, so we did. So the minute we got out there, we did a full comms check of every, uh, every radio out there, uh, VHF, UHF. Um, the lads could see us, we could see them. So we were ready and that was it. We just sat there. Um, I was first rescued. Dylan was second rescued. Then we had, uh, uh, Fanon Armano was on third rescue, and then the videographer Clem and Connor on stills was sitting in there in there as well. Um, and it looks like skis are everywhere out there, but they're all positioned in the best access to when if he ever did go down. Um, and that's it. We just watched the spectacle of Connor McGuire catch waves all morning. So that was it, really. And then then when he broke his strap. We said we'd all come in. So once we left, every, all the skis came into the harbour. And it, it, it was so interesting because the tide had dropped out a bit. And usually we just drive in, leave the skis beached, and we'd walk up and get a bit of lunch or whatever. But we left the skis on the, on the beach and walked up. And usually one person would just stay with the skis and make sure they don't get washed out. But Connor went up to get his strap put back together. Uh, or to drill it back in and next minute we turn around and literally a four to six foot surge came in and lifted every ski off the beach and started sucking it out into the channel 
So like there's lads hanging on to three skis and we're all running down trying to <laughs> grab the skis back up. And it's, it's just like Dylan's roaring on me, get on this ski. This. <laughs> so we're trying to grab all our skis back on. What is going on here? So we, we all got back on the skis, Connor came back out. Um, and we went back out. And like all morning, myself and dinner were like bouncing off each other going, do you want to wave? And I was, and it was like, no. And he was like, do you want to wave? And I was like, no. And it was kind of a no, yes, no, yeah, yes, no. Uh, and the more we kind of freaked ourselves out by sitting in the channel, looking at every wave implode on the inside and any wave that was actually rideable, Connor was on it. And basically I would let Dylan throw me into any wave up there, no problem. Um, and he was like, I'll tow you into one. And he, I was like, oh. And by the end of it, it was like, if I want to be towed in, it's going to be Barry, because Barry's been picking him all day. He knows exactly what's going on. So if I want to wave, it's not against you, Dylan. I want him to do it. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened. We went back out. Connor caught, caught one or two more. And then they came in. And then it was like, Dylan was like, Peter's going to get one. And then I, I, I was a little bit away. And as I was driving over, it kind of switched to like, Dylan's going to get away. And I was like, okay, grand. If Dylan gets one, I'll get one. And out they went. And Barry got him a lovely one. So I was just like, right. I put my money where my mouth is and I'll go out and get one as well. And it was great. Like the minute I got out the back, you don't see what's going on in the inside. So you kind of relax. It's only big mounds of water moving underneath you. The minute I got onto the rope, it was just like concentrating my breathing. And I just felt relaxed, 100% relaxed. I didn't, I didn't really care the size of the wave. Um, and that always happens to me out there. It's like, it's not that you get worried looking at the inside. You just, you know your ability. So I knew I was safe once I got onto the wave. Um, so Barry, look back. You ready? Yeah, ready. Up you got. And the minute I got onto it, it was like surfing any other six to eight foot wave. I was, it, was, it was really smooth. It was really clean. I had time to look around and it was just lovely. And the minute I got that one wave, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm happy. And we wrapped it up then and came in. And it was a, a job well done, if you ask me. Yeah, it's one of those things, though, isn't it? You catch one wave and it's really nice. And then if you go out and get another one, you're always going to jinx yourself, aren't you? Well, that's what happened. The minute we came in, Barry turned and goes, get on the rope again, get on the rope again. There's a set coming. And it was a big set. Well, it, same as what I got. So I got on. And as we were going out, I caught a rail. And I kind of, I had it, I had it, I had it. And then I didn't have it. And I went down hard. Not hard, but I just fell off. And he, he came back. And just by doing that, we missed that set wave. And then I just went, well, that's karma. No, I'm done. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's done. So I, I kind of realized I could go back out the back and wait another 10 minutes and get another one. But that could have been the one that injured me. But I was just like, no, we're done. Everyone's safe. Let's just get out of here. So, yeah, it was a great day. Though. I'm glad there's someone else that believes in karma because I'm always like that. <laughs> yeah. This is not... yeah. There's been days where I've gone out and I've just done safety for the day because I'm just like, nah, I know my ability. I know. And even the next day when the, we, we, we went in the next day because we were getting more footage for Connor and we got loads of waves towing and then all the boys paddled and they were like, oh, there's a board there if you want to paddle. And I was like, I don't practice for paddle. Like, I can I can go and catch a wave if I wanted to, but I practice for towing. And I know I'm not at the ability of catching one of the big ones on a paddle. Whereas if I wanted, like, I could fool myself and say, yeah, I can paddle it. And I probably will catch a wave. 
But if I injure myself, it's because I haven't practiced for that specific discipline, which is paddling surfing. I toe surf. That's all I do. Like the boys were like, oh, we're going paddling. And a lot of lads didn't even catch waves up there paddling. I was like, if I want to practice, I need the time to practice. I need to go out on bigger days. But I, because I work, because I have kids, I don't get to go out surf as often as I do, as all these other big wave paddlers. They, that's what they do. And I like, hats off to them. I'll sit and do safety for them. I'll go pick them up on the inside, no problem. But I tow. That's all, that's, I have no problem saying that. That's the thing, though, isn't it? And I'm not saying this is an ageist thing. You know, I'm, I'm nearly 40. And, uh, you know, you kind of get happy with catching those couple, don't you? And then you're like, yeah, let's just leave it at that. You know, let everybody yeah. else keep hounding those waves all the time and, and you know, get doing that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to know your boundaries as well a little bit. And, and, and if you don't realise where your boundaries are, like for instance, you saying there about you know the guy saying let's go and have a let's go and paddle into something. And you're like, ah, do you know what? No, but you could have done, and you could have got really hurt doing it as well. I could have got a really good bar, but at the end of the day, as I said, I'm 42 years of age with two kids. I'm like, no, I don't want it. I it doesn't appeal to me. I love watching the lads catching them and getting unbelievable pits. But I was like, I just caught five or six toe waves that I'm very happy with. I'm done. I, I sit on the ski and do safety for you, no problem. Um, so, I'm really interested in the way, can you just talk a little bit about how the safety skis work as a team? So obviously you've got the guys that are out, you know, getting towed into the waves, but, you know, how do you interact with each other and position yourself around those different breaks? Are there, are there points where someone stays inside, someone stays on the shoulder? You know, how does that work? So more, it basically, if we're towing, every tow surfer and jet ski operator are jet ski rescue guys. So their first means of rescue is their tow partner. Okay. So on bigger, bigger days, when we have the club ski out, there'll be the backup rescue. So if you see the guy go down, you'll see, if you look at the videos, you'll see a hand go up. If the guy goes down, you'll see a hand go up and you'll be pointing towards. So the guy coming in that has just dropped him off and realized that my man, my man has gone down, I need to track in to Whitewater to, to get him. Um, if we notice that, if, if the guy in the rescue ski notices that he, the, the guy that dropped him in is too far away and that we're going to get them first, we'll commit to rescue and then he can become our backup safety. So you've always got kind of two skis working together in the whitewater, um, not permitting all the skis in, okay? Because if you miss them once, it takes nearly 20, 30, 40 seconds to get back out around the break to go in and get them again. Whereas if you leave one ski out in the, in the channel, he can come in and he can recognize that oh, he hasn't got him in time. I can come in, I can pick him up. By the time he gets around, if I miss it, he's going to get him again. So there's kind of a three-tier system going on. Um, but as I said, at Mullock Moor, when it's mediocre, like 25, 30 foot, you're going to get washed through into the, the lagoon. So it's very, very safe. Whereas if you look at Cliffs of Moher, you're going washed into 700 foot cliffs. So it's kind of, uh, you've got to get in and get in quick. So when the lads, like it, it's a, a predominantly paddle wave at the cliffs now. Um, so if we're doing safety, the cliffs would sit on the right-hand side of the 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 break and when you see a, you'll see the guy go down because you're sitting on the inside 
um, you'll know exactly where it's going to get washed through because of the, the, the current of the water that flows. And you can just track him and pick him up before he hits the rocks. Um, and it is literally you're just picking him up before he gets into the boulders uh, and you get into the, the, the rip on the side of, of the wave and you bring him back out. Um, if we're towing, it, it reverts straight back to the guy towing him in, commits to doing the rescue to go in and getting him. And we'd always have, like I'd never go out to the cliffs without a second ski. Um, uh, Riley's is, there's no, I won't say there's no real rescue. It's basically you get the wave. If you make it out, you're in the channel. If you don't make it out, you get smashed on the rocks and then you get washed into the channel a little bit further in. And then there's a right-hander of doom. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, if you get washed in there, it doesn't matter who's driving a ski. You, ain't got, you, you can't really commit to go in there because I've gone in there once and literally it's so white water that the ski will sink up to your chest. It's so white water. And then you, you're no good if you lose your ski and everything. So inevitably you get washed into the right hand and then the white hand washes you up along the rocks or into the, cha- into the channel again. So you just have to wait and hopefully the guy can survive it. Um, so it's a very easy pickup. As I said, anyone can tow into Riley's because their pick- the pickup is simple. Whereas at the cliffs, it's very hard because you have to, it's a calculated tow and it's a very, very, very calculated rescue if something goes wrong. Mullock Moore, it's an easy tow with a semi-easy rescue if you let the guy get washed through to the lagoon because you just have to pick him up in the lagoon but he's getting three or four waves in the head then. Whereas if, you, if you're a good driver, you go straight in, pick him up after the first wipeout and out you come. So it is like it is a kind of a, a, a learning, an art of learning when you're at, at that wave. So every, every wave is different. Have you um, surfed any other bigger wave spots outside of Ireland? You know, you mentioned that you got the invite to the WSL big wave event at Nazare. Um, you know, where, where are the places around the globe have you, have you been doing it? So I have been to Nazare. I've gone over there teaching with Bragg. So uh, going over teaching medical stuff and then jet ski rescue stuff as well. I've been there three times. Uh, I surfed it twice. So uh, during the first Nazare challenge, the paddle one, uh, I was out with Danilo. And the minute the comp ended, um, Danilo wanted to surf. So I dropped him into the, the lineup and I did his safety. But from eight safety skis in the water for the competition, for the paddlers, um, uh, when, they let, when the competitors finished, all eight of those safety skis just hightailed it out of there, leaving me the only safety ski in the water. And there was eight or nine paddlers out there. So I'm like this going, well done, WSL. You, you, you practice safety, but you're taking all the skis out of... And that's one thing we wouldn't do in Mullock Moore is leave paddlers in the water without a ski. Like, you just... It, and you, you end up breaking your bollocks, sitting there for hours just waiting for... That's, you don't even know. But uh, I got left out there for a good hour by myself on a ski doing safety for eight lads at Nazareth. And you, you learn your, your, your jib going into, into, into the inside of Nazareth. It's fucking crazy. And hats off to anybody that does it. it. Anybody around the world that goes, yeah, yeah, I tow, I was on this. I was like, no, no, you ain't driven a ski until you've driven it at Nazareth on the inside. It is, it is man-making. It, it, it is just different because your waves coming from every angle coming at you. You have to use 
100% of your intuition of how to get a ski to, from A to B. So that was very interesting. Um, and then towing out there, like, it was great, but it, it isn't a patch of Mullockmore towing there. It's just a big lump of water. And like the lads will admit it, Mullockmore is hands down, it's a barrel, it's, it's, it's a big wave. Um, not taking away from Nazare what they do. They're after the biggest wave and they're getting it. Um, I've towed there. And that's really the only place I've ever towed. I've been to Hawaii and I've been around other places, but I've never towed because I don't need to. I have Ireland and I have the craziest waves in the world right on my doorstep, so I don't. I went to Galicia to, to, to tow for that tow contest, but it never went ahead because of the, the Nazare tow. Um, and we, uh, sorry, and then we did, sorry. I had towed a wave there in um, uh, Costa del Muerte with um, Axi Mounier. Uh, he's crazy. You, you know Axi, he's from I've Galicia. heard the man before, yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, so the day before the, the day before the contest in Nazare, we met up with him and he brought, brought us on the craziest trip on skis around the coast of death in Galicia. <laughs> and it, it's called the coast of death for a reason. Like there is an efficient family over there that hasn't lost a, per, a family member to that ocean there. It is the craziest thing you'll ever see. And we went out to surf a wave that he knew and he had found and discovered. And it was, it was like a mixture between Mullockmore and Riley's. And it wasn't really doing it, but it was doing it. And we ended up catching it. Myself and Connor caught a few waves. He towed us in. And it was amazing. And then it was like, oh, we get the skis out in this harbor. And there was no, if you look on my Instagram, you'll see there's a video of us trying to get the boards out on that harbor. It was like, no. So then you had to drive another five miles around the bay to get out in another bigger bay with a massive harbor. And by the time we'd driven around to help them, he'd basically gone, no, we're not going to get onto trailers. So he just drew, drove the skis straight up the slipway slid them straight up the slipway and we lifted them onto the, onto the trailers. So yeah, the tow there, which was very, very interesting. Um, I'd love to tow other places, but as I said, I work for a living. I've got kids. I can't really commit to going away. Like last week I got a, a, an honor. I got asked by Will Scudden and Andrew Cotton to be their first safety, to be their rescue chief for the Nazare towing. And that's like, i uh, delighted to get invited to, to do that. Um, but I rang Cody and said, listen, I'm going to have to decline because with my work, if I leave the country, I have, when I come back, I have to isolate for two weeks unpaid out of my own time. So you're looking at a month away from my family, away from work, and it's just not feasible for me to do that. Um, so, yeah, I had to turn down one of my dream jobs of doing safety in that con for the lads that I know and respect. So, yeah. It's a bit yeah. gutting sometimes, isn't it? Because a lot of the UK and Irish and Scottish surfers um, that you see in all these edits, you know, I've shared that atmosphere um, edit that came out and it's, it's blown people away, like literally yeah. blown people away. You know, I've had, you know, I've had thousands of people looking at it on, on different groups and, you know, even I've watched it about 10, 15 times. But my point being is that, you know, we're with people from our country and Ireland and Scotland, 
you don't see the background behind them people like yourself you know you you do all these great things you, you you're in the right places right times you're following the swells but people don't see that you've got a nine to five job you, you know you you don't have all these massive sponsors that you're able to you make a full living off like you know the wsl surfers wouldn't necessarily do and you know at the end of the day you're doing this because you're passionate about it and you love it and everything else just kind of clicks into it and you know hats off to you like if you look at it the nazare trips i've done i paid for them myself they cost me six seven hundred quid on my own pocket um the glacier trip uh, Norcard gave me 400 quid from my flights and accommodation, but <laughs> we ended up paying 500 quid in speeding fines because <laughs> the way there. So it's like we end up paying a lot of money. Even that um, edit that Ollie did, um, Atmosphere, Ollie didn't get paid to go there. He didn't pay to go out in a ski. He didn't get paid. He, he made nothing out of that. It's all for the love of being out there with the lads, having the crack. Uh, like, it, it it is mad to see like every other time we're at Mullock Moor, we're not getting paid. The lads are getting paid, but a lot of us aren't, and that's because I there's not much sponsor. I've got Norcor; they give me product and a little bit of money to do, and a lot of that product goes on when I need a favor from the lads to do safety. I'll throw them some Norcor gear, or if we're doing a course, I'll give Norcor gear just to get the Norcor gear out there. And there's like. I'm giving away most of the stuff I'm getting sponsored. So I'm not making anything from it, but my main goal is to make surfing safer in the world. And that's what you'll see. A lot of my stuff is, and uh, people get sick of it. It's like politics. It's like, but all mine is safety, safety, safety. Keep everybody safe. It's not like surfing is a very, very individualistic sport. And we're assholes, literally <laughs> assholes in the world. Whereas toe surfing, you can't be like that. Like, you need your tow partner. You need to know what they're doing. And you need friends out there as well. And that's what, if you're ever at Mullockmore, you'll see that within our group of lads. Like, you don't have it at the cliffs because they, don't, they, they never worked at it there. And I tried to implement it, but lads were going out paddling. They, don't want, they just want to catch the waves. They don't want to sit on a ski. They don't want to do safety for each other. And I've said it over the years. The Cliffs of Moor is where a major accident is going to happen because of the lads not bringing their ski out or they're only just out there to catch their own waves and it's not on. Whereas at Mullockmore, it's completely different. It's if we're out towing, it's all looking after each other. We don't go out by ourselves anymore. We'll always ring each other and say, listen, do you want to go out and catch some waves? And, and we're out there, have fun. That's, that's the main thing. Have fun, come home safe together. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And it, it's, it's the, it's the age old cliche, isn't it? That, you only see especially during like you know we're talking about the edits and films that have come out you see the guys on the wave but you don't see any of the background stuff like what you're talking about and if yeah. it wasn't really for without blowing smoke up your ass at all <laughs> but you know without people like you in the background you know you wouldn't be able to do those sort of things or or the guys wouldn't be able to do those sort of things but at the end of the day you know even with those edits, like I have a big problem with that. They come over and they take the date, all their waves and they put them in their edits, but they never include a lot of the Irish lads. Like because they didn't get really good waves. It was like they got waves that were good for them and they would love to be in an edit like Ollie or Naker. And they're the guys that sit and do safety for them. And, they, and afterwards they've been, oh lad, 
thanks a million for doing safety for us, blah, blah, blah. We were paddling and catching loads of waves and the boys were sitting on the ski for hours on end doing safety. And they get the thanks, but they don't get a mention in the edits or they don't get anything like that. Like I do or whatever because I'm there and the lads know me. But like there is the, the lads behind the scenes that they just do it for the love of it. But I want to see them getting the recognition. Like as I said, I said it in Tim Benighton's movie, I said, I get more joy seeing the lads learning towing Molly, getting a good wave than I do than Dylan or Barry or Connor. I prefer to see, because I've seen Connor catch loads and loads of waves and every one of them blows my mind. But I get more of excitement by watching the likes of John Monaghan who broke his femur two, uh, two years ago. He came out there in the last swell and caught his first wave since then. And I had more excitement watching him and the, the bombs that he was getting out there than Connor's big wave. So it's, it's kind of, it's different for everybody, but like I love seeing people's fresh faced reaction to a bomb they've just got gone and they just realized that they've made it the whole way and not fallen off or, or they, their mate has towed them into the best wave of their life. So yeah, how'd that's get, what I think. How, how'd you get those guys to get that recognition though? Um, you know, if you've got, these big corporations like you're saying that are coming down and they're only putting their sponsored surfers on it you know how how do you think that 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 could change is there a, is there a way that it could change it's hard because like like even i catching bombs out there don't get even to, into edits like and i i guess i'm not after getting the bombs i catch loads of waves and i have the crack but like a lot of lads that just catch normal waves, they don't get into the edits. And I, I can understand that. I can understand that the edit is about the surfer that's being paid to be there. But as I said, you're at a, a wave that these lads probably will only surf three or four times in the year. And that's all they get to surf this big wave. Whereas the, that a guy coming over, surfing it, has just come from Nazare, surfing for like three months, surfing nearly every day, catching bombs coming from Hawaii, catching bombs every day. Whereas in Ireland, we don't get bombs every day. Whereas those lads are coming in and taking a lot of light of the waves. And like, fair play, they're getting, they get paid to do it. But at the end of the day, we're not getting those bombs. We don't get to travel. Like, as I said, none of us here travel for waves. We just wait for our own waves to come here. And it was, that's the best thing about Big Wednesday. No international surfers. And all the international surfers were in Nazare or their own spots. I was like, we got the pick of our waves. And that's why Connor got the wave of his life. It was because it was just us. And COVID kind of helped with that, I suppose. That you I couldn't. was trying to put my uh, finger on it uh, yesterday. And you just hit the nail on the head with it, really. I was, I was trying to, you know, trying to figure out what what's made this little bit of footage so so enriching and so engrossing to watch yeah. and i think what you just said there where it it's the guys that live there yeah doing it's just it. us yeah it's just us it was just us and that's what i was like and like as i said i've watched that atmosphere video maybe 15 20 times now and it's not just because i'm in it it's just i don't even look at myself anymore i'm just looking at the smile on barry's face the smile on dylan's face all the waves so, like, the one thing I would have liked to see is Dylan's wave in it. But, like, Oliver didn't get his wave because he was driving for, for Gary. So, 
it's kind of like edits like that. It, it, it makes it interesting. Like, like you saw the, the Red Bull edit. It's great. Connor's wave. But it, you didn't see Dylan or me on a wave. So it's kind of like, ah, I'm not giving out about it because they paid us to be there. Like, yeah, we shouldn't have been surfing, but at the end of the day, you're not going to be out there in the biggest swell and not catch a wave. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Ollie's edit, and it should get more recognition for what it was. What I, it hope is. It, I hope it does, because it, it, it's an amazing bit of footage to, to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, where are you uh, surfing at the moment? Um, you know, what, what sort of board are you riding uh, outside of the big wave stuff? Uh, longboard. I'm a longboarder. Yeah, longboard. Yeah, no, I got I I, I switched between my longboard and a five five fish a four to kind of it's kind of a uh, quad. It's just I got it on an auction online, and uh, the funnest thing I've ever surfed in my life. So it's either that or my longboard. Aren't or fish is the best. They are the best. Oh, so much fun, and it tur- and it makes my turning a lot better. Like I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm not a bad, a good surfer, but I, like I'm not up there with any of the competitive surfers. Like I give them a run for the money if we're in a comp because I could, I could, could, but like I'm an average surfer. Like not like the boys, Gerald, Ali, all that blown me out of the water, no problem. But like I just love it for the crack of it, and that's why I paddle out in the longboard, and that's just like like beat out in the longboard again. When you, when you're not surfing, and I was like, who's going to catch more waves? Who's going to have more fun? me because this is the right board i feel for this waves so that's what i i'll take the right board for the right situation so that's what i do so. i'm a bit of a pest with it i've got loads of different types of boards i've got like old 70s six eight stinger tail things like 20s i've got an old jed no one that i bought like 20 years ago like proper old classic retro flat decked you know f- no rocker on it fish all the way up to like i got a nine eight paddle board my, yeah. I, I've got boards. Well, I, I put a little bit of footage of I bust the phone because it slipped down the back of my boards that are hanging in my garage. You know, I've got so much stuff. Well, I'm not the only one. My garage is just like a man shed of ridiculous amounts of stuff. Like even last week when I was in Dublin, now at the East Coast, there's no waves, so I went out stand up paddle boarding with my mate, my three mates, and we found this little wave. It was like a foot, foot and a half. We end up surfing for an hour and a half on it. Like, and I never surf on subs. Like, I never go on my sub, but, yeah, it's one thing that I'm like, geez, these guys actually has stuff to do over here. So, yeah. yeah. Once I'm out having fun, it doesn't matter what board I'm on. That's as I said. The minute it starts getting crowded now and people get aggro, that's why I kind of just, like, leave. As I said, when we're down in Riley's now, lads are paddling. It's like, let them paddle. I, I'm more towing Riley's now. When it gets to toe size, that's where I'll tow. Um, I paddle when it's quiet, but the minute it gets really busy, I'm just like, I'm not into hustling for waves or anything like that. Do you find that when you go to a lineup and uh, you're just going for a a leisurely surf that you you go and find a little bit of an empty spot? I'm always looking for like those spots that have got like a 20 meter radius where there's no one sat and I'll go and sit there. But then it's like a classic ant mentality. Everyone sort of like follows you. Yeah, that happens. Or you get to the beach and you're like, I'm going to go out way down there where no one is. And you go out by yourself. And then 20 minutes later, like three or four people see you down there and they go out and it's like, ah, oh, Jesus. 
but it, like once it's my friends, I'm happy and like that's it. You're out there trading off waves. Like that's the best thing is when you're out with like-minded surfers. But then, as you, as you know yourself, you be out with your like-minded friends, and then one guy will come out and ruin the session. You say one thing, and you're just like, "Ah, oh, I'm done. I'm out of here." And that happens everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So. Hence the grumpy surfer, right? <laughs> yeah, that's just with age. That's just with age. Yeah, and I think a little bit of um, cynicism comes with it too. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're working hard, and you see these little fuckers that don't work and they surf so much and the one time you get to surf in a month they're out there sneaking you trying to drop in in you and you're just like Whoa. yeah you're in the public service you know i'm in, i'm in the military i go down yeah. to the beach sometimes when i've got time off you know in the daytime so in the working week and they get down there and there's like hundreds of people in the water my first thing that comes to my head is has nobody got a job yeah, and especially with COVID now, a lot of lads are getting paid because they're not, not working and all they're doing is surfing. All they're doing is surfing. And it's like, okay, Grant, we're in a 5K lockdown. Just lads traveling outside the 5K to go surfing and still getting paid. And I'm just like, well, that's not fair really, is it? It's like, surf within your 5K if you're going to surf. Stop ruining it for everybody. Yeah, I had um, I, I went to my um, I went to my local break uh, on the last lockdown um, because it was in sort of like the radius and the time limit that you could go, and uh, I was in the water and there's a lad I'd known like years ago. Yeah, he was from up north. I'm not mentioning any names on this, obviously, and uh, he just rocked up and I was walking I was walking down to the water and I heard this you know this voice behind me and I turned around and I was like, "Hello, mate. You know what are you doing?" He's like, oh, I've just driven six hours down. I was like, ah, really? Like, you, yeah. you've really just done that? And then I was like, ah, yep, yeah, okay, I'm going to leave you to it, mate. And then off you go. So he'd driven all the way down, six hours. He's going to have a couple of hours in the water, if that. It wasn't even that great. And then he's going to drive yeah. six hours all the way back north again. I was like, what a mentalist. Yeah, but like, I can understand, right? For surfing, if you do that, if you go surf, like, say you live in Ennis, right, which is 30 kilometers from the sea, and you're a surfer, and that's your sport. I can't see the problem with driving 30 kilometers, going into the water, catching your waves, get out, and leave. It's when they start chatting to their mates, having conversations in the car park, or sticking it up on Instagram. That's what I know. If you want to surf, you want to break the rules, go do it. But don't put it on Instagram. Don't remind the lads that are sticking to the rules and not going surfing outside their 5k and going on Instagram and going, ah, fucking prick. He's, he's down, he's down surfing down here or they're up there surfing. It's like, like, I don't care that you're surfing, but just don't, don't advertise it to the lads that are actually abiding by the rules because it just pisses us off. Yeah. And then when, and you hold it against them, like, I don't want to hold it against them. Go surf, go do what you want to do. But I don't want to hear about it. It's like, I don't want to hear all oh, the lads do oh, to know who was there and to know what this wave would caught. It's like, I don't care. I wasn't there for a reason because we're not supposed to be there. It's like, I don't care that you were there. Go surf it. But if something goes wrong, you will bring a black tag and a black name down on every surfer in this county if someone gets hurt and has to be helicoptered out. So it's that kind of, it's me looking at 
the implications of what if something goes wrong. That's more of it. So. Yeah, I mean, you more than anyone will know that, you know, being in the job that you do as well. Um, yeah, yeah I, I can imagine that it can be, for a lot of people, especially this day and age, it's quite it's quite a frustrating time, isn't it? Especially when you've got outdoor pursuits that, you know, again, talking about surfing being like a passion. Um, yeah. it, it can be quite frustrating, kind of, especially if you're kind of semi-landlocked as well. Oh, 100%. Like, they, they've given permission for the local sports to go ahead, the GAA, the, the, the hurling and the football, which isn't a professional sport. It's just amateur. And then they let everybody do their running and their jogging and the cycling. But then they were like, oh, you shouldn't be surfing. It's like, why shouldn't we be surfing? It's our sport. It's our fitness. That's how we keep fit. And But as I said, lads in Ennis or anywhere 30 k's away aren't entitled to go up, drive up, surf, and then come home. So, they, like... The government only look at what they want to look at and they class as a sport. So like we guarantee you no one in our government surfs because they're not giving us any leeway in anything or any water sports. Whereas they're all joggers, they all cycle bikes. Like Dublin has been ruined by the amount of cycle lanes that they put in. Ruining the traffic. So but it's uh, Stephanie, definitely, definitely grumpy surfer podcast, isn't it? <laughs> well, this last 20 minutes has Here's a question that I wanted to ask you because, you know, you being in your job and being in, being in mine, one of the most prevalent things I've talked about on previous podcasts is, is about mental health. Um, yeah. You know, being in those situations where, you know, you're seeing some pretty horrific stuff like, you know, I can imagine that you have and, and I have too. Um, yeah. Would you would you say, you know, big wave surfing, you could, do you know anybody that has got, you know, anything like PTSD or any sort of like mental issues, whether they've been in a bad wipeout or they've seen someone from it? Because I, I could imagine if somebody gets in a really bad spot, it can be quite harrowing. And that is definitely, um, you know, playing on the mentality of everything, isn't it? Yeah, so like I've had it. I definitely had it from, um, if you looked at the Red Bull, uh, the Red Bull edit they did on me, um, uh, at the start of my kind of big wave, starting off, I got trapped underneath the Cliffs of Mora, as I mentioned earlier, and I got stuck in there for 40 minutes, looking up at 700 foot cliffs, looking at it, 20 foot to 30 foot white water, just coming into the bay. None of the lads knew how to jet, drive jet skis properly, so they couldn't, couldn't come in and get me. And the way the water was moving, if I didn't get out through a rip, it was going to bring me into like a ver where the water just circulates in itself and I would have drowned. Hands down, I knew it. So basically, I had to swim for my life. And I swam for 40 minutes, head down, duck diving 20, 30 foot of white water, trying to get out to an area to, for the skis to pick me up. Um, and it was only after, like I did it, got out that's where kind of the birth of the whole the Irish Toe Surf Rescue Claim Club came from because of what happened um, and it was a group of us that set it up um, it was only when I went back to work because the lads didn't really know what had happened but they said they saw a change in me and it was me kind of looking at my life and going Jesus that could have been the end of it or it could have been how could I have made it better and it, I kind of like 
I, I used to suffer from depression growing up and stuff like that. And it was more not, not going to talking about it. It was more about analyzing my own self. And I find that in work as well, uh, dealing with a lot of cases is like, right, that has got me down. How will I get myself out of the hole? Like, I don't really like talking about it and talking to the right people. Like, I, I, I talk to colleagues that I trust and have been through it before. Um, but it, it is one of those things that if you're going to sort it out, you have to sort it out for yourself. It's not about somebody talking to you about it. It's about you dealing with the problem in your own head and how you will deal with it. Um, especially with PTSD or depression or whatever. It's like, it's going to, it's going to re, you're going to relapse into a depressed state, but it's learning how to get back out of it. It's like a bad breakup. If you're going to mope about the girl that you loved, well, oh, she doesn't love me. You've got to visualize yourself being better. And it does take time. And like everyone, and I hate it when people say to you, time heals all wounds. But it's true. It does. But you heal your wounds as well. Um, I, I, was out in ski, I was out in the ski only three weeks ago. And I did a rookie mistake. And I drove the ski onto a sandbar. And I ended up headbutting the front of my ski. Like and cutting it to the bone. Like literally wound open. And... Literally, for five days afterwards, I would get cold sweats thinking of driving a ski. Like, literally, I, didn't, I was like, well, geez, that could have went so much worse. It, it, was, wor- it was bad, shouldn't have happened, blah, blah, And like, in my head, I had to sit down and say, right, you made a mistake. How are we going to not make the mistake again? You're not going up that river ever again. That's one thing. And <laughs> it, it, it was those kind of things that you have to say, right, I could scare myself every time I get on a ski because you could hit the ground anywhere. But if you let that fear stop you from doing what you love, you're never going get, to get back to doing what you love. Especially if you, if you get broken up by the girl you love and you don't get over it, you're never going to find love again. And that, that's what it's all about is you go to a horrible incident and you deal with it the best you can. And that's why I'm always with the lads. They haven't dealt with a drowning. They haven't dealt with something serious like I have many, many times. If you don't practice for it, you faff over what needs to be done. You're, you're in your head, you're going, oh, shit, could I have done anything more to save that person's life? And that's what will drive you mental. It's like, oh, did I not do CPR right? Did I not, do, did I not ring the ambulance when I should have? Did, did I not do this? Whereas the way I train the lads is like, step by step, if you do it like this, you can walk away going, we did everything in our power to save that life. The person died. That's what's happened. And that, in my job, I've, it's happened so many times. And I walked away and gone, I've done it. I did everything by the book that needed to be done. And if you make a mistake, you just accept it. And you learn from your mistakes for the next time it happens. Because it's going to happen again, especially in your job and my job. I'm going to go into another cardiac arrest. I'm going to go to another fact. I'm going to give medications to another person. Am I going to give him enough? Am I going to do this? And it's, not, it's about sitting down and realizing to yourself, like, and there is a lot of people suffering silently about, did I do that right? Did I do that wrong? How will I get over this? And it's about working with yourself and entrusting somebody, one of your best friends to talk about, even if they don't know what they're talking about. Just say, yeah, I'm suffering. Will you come and surf with me? Will you come and do something I love just to get me out of the house? That's what, that's what needs to happen. There's kind of a theme with this because I, I, I like talking 
to people sort of like in our position about this a little bit. And one of the key things that I've taken away from this, and I've just written it down here is, you know, it's a repetitive thing when, you know, I've potentially had had some sort of mental issues. But there's three things I've written down here. One's recognition. So being able to identify that there is something going wrong, which is the probably one of the most important things. Then accepting, and you've just said this, you know, accepting that, you know, there is something wrong and then figuring out how to get out of it and having surfing or any sort of other pursuit outside of, um, you know, your day-to-day life, whether it's, you know, your nine-to-five job working in an office, you need to have something to take your mind off it, whether it's a bit of meditation in the evening or, you know, whether it's going for a surf or, jujitsu even or i don't know any anything that takes your mind off it and that you know that momentary release during that 24-hour period is going to help you rather than bottling up and not doing anything about it and i think that's what people who don't really understand so you know when you're talking about guys of suffering suffering quite badly and then you know it can lead to really bad depression and inevitably you know yeah suicide suicide and stuff like that it's because i don't think those people know how to recognize it understand it and then do something about it and i think that's really important to try and get across yeah it's it's identifying yourself that you have a problem and a lot of people don't just like like depression like the way i suffered is you just wake up and it's just like you don't feel anything is wrong but you're just quiet and then you've everyone going uh you're right there. And every time someone asks you, are you okay? You get more angrier and you get angrier. And it's like, yeah, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me, but you're quiet and you're not normally quiet. And it's like, and then you start to realize, oh, I'm in one of those moods. And like, right, how do I get out of this mood? You can't. For a couple of days, you're, you're just in it. It's like a full moon or it's like a period. It's coming. You just have to ride it through. And what's the best way to ride it through? Get a surf. Do something that makes you happy. Stay away from the people that annoy you. That's the kind of things. Stay offline, especially the internet. Stay off Instagram. Stay off things. People telling you that they're great. Or like one of the best things I've ever done is when people annoy me on Instagram or I see fake stuff on Instagram with friends or whatever, I just delete them off Facebook or Instagram. So I don't have to deal with what they're saying or they're showing. It's like Mount over this pandemic, the amount of people I've Instagram, I've just gone, nah, I'm not following you anymore because I've seen you break the rules. And then you preach that you don't, you're, you're, you're adhering to all the rules. It's like that, that, that really annoys me. So I'm just like, how do I get, how do I get around this belief? So I don't have to see it anymore. Until your friend says, you see what he put up? I was like, no, I don't want to see it. Don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to accept other people's bullshit. That's what it is, right? That's it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mate, what I'd like to do is, um, you know, just to just to finish off this conversation is uh, I normally do a quick fire round with, um, with guys, um, surfers, yeah. if that's all right. Shoot, sure. yeah. And, and normally when I say a quick fire round, it normally ends up being like half an hour. <laughs> yeah. No problem. So uh, the first question is, if you could surf one fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, a quad, a twin fin, or a thruster? Single fin. 
Single fin. Nice. Favourite surfer and why? Oh. Um, Favourite surfer. There's some white That's space to be edited here, I think. <laughs> That's a hard one. That, because, because all the guys that I used to look up to and had pictures on the wall, I've met them. So can you kind of, I don't lose respect for them, but I've met them and like, uh, could say you. Um, no, no, I don't respect myself. Jeez, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. Shall I, um, shall I leave that to the left and you can ponder on it on the others? We'll be pondering a while. Like, ah, uh, I suppose my favourite surfers are the ones that are doing it for just for the crack and and the ones promoting safety. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say I have any favourite surfer. I I respect all surfers to to a point. But I, I'm not going to say I have a favorite surfer because, as even my friends know, I don't follow surfing in that kind of way. I don't follow it. My favorite surfers are the, my friends that I surf with. That's that's who my favorite surfers are. That's a good answer. Yeah. Last surf film you watched? Last surf film would be Big Wednesday, my favorite movie of all time. Big Wednesday, yeah. The first surf film you ever watched? Riding Giants. Is that the one with Shane Dorian in it? Oh, oh no, that, that's in God's Hands, the one with Shane Dorian. That's it, in God's Hands. I think the, it was 1996, the, I bought the DVD. I was like, holy shit, yeah. Some yeah. really good acting in that film. <laughs> I've told him that. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have. And yeah. your last one is your dream surf trip. Chopes. I'd love to go to Chopes. And I've been offered, like, even Matt was like, oh, how do we get you to North? I was like, I wouldn't go to Chopes unless I had an invite from the locals and to tow with the locals and paddle. I'd love to paddle it on a nice day, but yeah, I wouldn't go. And, and at the end of the day, I wouldn't spend five, six grand on a trip to Chopes. Well, I'd buy a new jet ski with that to enjoy Ireland. But yeah, Chopes, hands down. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go there, but I definitely wouldn't... Um... I'd like to go on a smaller day. No, well, no, I remember, yeah, do you remember, do you remember the Millennium Wave that came out where Laird Hamilton was on it and yeah. it was as thick as it was, you know, yeah. the size? Oh. That's that. No, I would like it that size. That's the kind of, I would like it that. I'd like to watch that. I'd like to watch you on that. The let's, let's say <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Pete, thank you very much for uh, for talking to me today. And I think you've opened up a world that people wouldn't necessarily see especially with the uh with the big wave safety side of it you always like we were talking about there you, you always see these guys on these massive waves and getting these really good you know pictures and films but you don't see the guys in the background either and i think that's really important that people need to recognize that and it's important and if, if anything comes out of this it's important for surfers to understand that they have to look after themselves as well as I said, when I paddle out to the cliffs or paddle out or go out on the, on the ski, I am straight away looking around going, Dylan's there, Barry's there, Trinon's there, Mono's there. And I'm like, like, I'm safe. If I go down, I know Mono's an EMT. I know Trinon's an, an, an expert lifeguard. He's going to come in on the ski with me. Uh, if I'm paddling, I know the lads are keeping an eye on. I'll always buddy, buddy up when I go out to the cliffs or something like that. I'll go, right, I'm going out with you. If You keep an eye on for me because... You never know when someone goes, catches the wave, disappears, and then 20 minutes later, like Mark Fu, where's, uh, where's John gone? I don't know. He must have gone in, and he's in on the rocks face down. 
it's like it is important to look after each other when you're going surfing, not just yourself. So if take anything from this, it's your own safety and the safety of your, your, your friends. That's what you're going to hopefully take away from this. Definitely a key point there, mate. Pete Conroy, yeah. thanks very much for the conversation. And uh, I appreciate you, man. No, thank you very much. And I appreciate you. Thank you for interviewing me. <laughs> there, cheers, Pete. Thanks for your time. No problem. Talk to you later. I think after that, you'll all agree there's a lot more to big wave surfing than we think. Thanks to Pete for talking to me and giving us the point of view of a professional big wave rider. If you want to see the edit of Mulligmore, go and visit Oliver Hegarty's Instagram page, Island Visual Media, and watch his mini film, Atmosphere. Or go to Red Bull Surfing and watch the edit on Pete Conroy there. I'll add the link in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow and subscribe on your podcast provider. Also leave a comment at the end for a bit of feedback. Also follow the Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.